Dude, I've got that. You're reading my list. Stop reading my list. Seth and I have a favor to ask. If you are enjoying Extra Credit, the Rock You podcast, please do us a solid and go ahead and share it with friends. Also, if you rate and review it on whatever podcasting platform you listen, it will get to other people and that'd be good. We want more people to hear about this stuff that we think is so cool. So share, rate, review, and thank you. Hey Rockers, welcome back to Extra Credit, the Rocky Podcast. I'm your co-host Seth Hinckley, sitting here with the Adam Clayton to my Larry Mullen Jr., <laughs> the Dean of Rock U, Mr. Matt Black. Why am I the Adam Clayton? Because you'll see here in a minute. Okay, I'll see here in a minute. All, All right. right. I would All expect right. it to be the edge to your Larry Mullen Jr. Yeah, but there's certain projects that right. the edge was All not right. part of, and okay. we'll, we'll talk right. about that here All in a right. little bit. All right. All right, dude. I got to oh, ask yeah. you, what are you wearing? Today I'm wearing my Elvis Presley Heartbreak Hotel t-shirt. I like this one. We got a dancing Elvis upstairs at Rock U. And we do. I love watching that He's guy. He's the clock. That guy, exactly. I love watching that guy shake his hips. <laughs> maybe you should edit that out. This is maybe, for, maybe. This is for the Rock U After Hours edition. <laughs> what are you wearing, Seth? Dude, I'm wearing my Metallica shirt from their M72 World Tour that we saw here in Paris back in May. Nice. Great show. Loved it. What are we talking about today on our top five list? Today we are talking about our top five TV and movie theme songs. Awesome. This is a tricky one. Yeah, this was kind of a tricky one. Let's talk about criteria. This is one of the few times we've discussed it a bit in advance, and we don't totally see eye to eye on this one, so our criteria are a little bit different. kind of, yeah. Yeah, A a couple important distinctions. You go first. I've got to say that mine were, like, if they were actually the theme, if it's the TV show, it's really easy. Did it start it or did it end it? So a starting theme or an ending theme. Right. It was was in every episode, and it's in the same place every episode, it's clearly the theme song. Right? right, yeah. And it doesn't have to be written for the TV show. It could be a song that they took, like, I forget the name of the song for Dawson's Creek. I Don't uh, Want to Wait. It was I a Paula know. Cole song. Okay. Anyway, they used that, which was a single from somebody else. But it didn't matter whether it was a single or whether it was actually written as the theme for the show. For a movie, movies are a little bit harder, but I went with something that identified with the movie that was pretty clear. It could have been something that somebody wrote. Maybe they wrote it for the movie. Maybe not. I kind of had to stray from my usual, it's got to be a rock song under the giant tree. tree. It's a big but tree. for a couple, I had to go outside just because I had to. Okay. What well, about my, you? The only difference that we have, I agree with you about TV themes. The difference that I had with you with uh, movie themes is to me, it had to be written for the movie with the purpose of being in the movie, it couldn't have just been a song that was used in the movie and became associated with the movie. Okay. I just thought that was a little too broad. And we've already covered our movie soundtracks. Right, and yeah. most of my movie soundtracks would have just ended up in this list too if I opened that up. But that's okay. We can go with different strokes for different folks to, yeah. to quote a theme song. But <laughs> <laughs> different strokes to rule the world. Over under. Uh, I'm going to go one. You're going to set it at one? I'm set it at one. I'm take the under. Wow. I'm just lear- I've learned I'm always wrong when I take the over. <laughs> I'm probably going to go on the under as well because okay. I'm not sure that you're going to have one. <laughs> I guarantee you're not going to have my number five <laughs> or my number one. All right. Or my number two. So, yeah, I'm going to take the under. I think you could end up having any of my five, but I'm still going to take the under just because- Just I've, because I've you always har- take the under. I've, no, no, I always take the over and I'm always wrong. I've learned the hard way. Well, that's what I was going to say, you know. <laughs> When you were the team captain, when you went up for the coin toss, did you always choose tails because tails never fails? I think I was only captain for one game, and I don't remember if I won or lost the coin flip. So. <laughs> All right. Who's going first? I think you went first last time, so I'll go first this time. Okay. And you'll have the last word. That'll work. All right. Number five number on five, your list. My number five is a TV theme. It's the theme from Hawaii Five-0. Ooh, good yeah, one. Yeah. For the Lots show of aired drums. from 1968 to 1980. The theme music was written by Morton Stevens. It was covered just a few months after the show debuted. It was covered by The Ventures, which are obviously a huge, yeah, huge surf popular rock surf rock yeah. band. Their version spent 14 weeks on the Billboard Hot 100 pop chart. Got up to number four in 1969. It's just a great song. It's a lot of fun. It yeah. you know, gets you fired up like we talked about last time. I will say there are two, I was going to say significant cover versions, but I'm going to just call them odd cover versions. Okay. <laughs> One is called You Can Come With Me. It's by Don Ho. And wow. he turns the song into a ballad. <laughs> 
Wow. Go listen. You'll, your eyebrows will curl. And the other <laughs> is by Sammy Davis Jr., who this, the title of this one is You Can Count On Me, and he's singing the lyrics to the same melody line that the horns play in the original theme music, but they're just unrelated lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's kind of weird, but, <laughs> but the original song is great, and you know you can't go wrong with Hawaii Five-0 for any occasion. So there's a guy on YouTube, I think the channel is EMC. It, he's a, a drummer and a percussionist, and he does a lot of stuff with marching drums. Mm-hmm. He has one video where he plays the Hawaii Five-0 theme song on 500 different <laughs> drums. It, go look it up. It's That's hilarious. Cool. Really cool. He's got them set up in a line going through this building, going upstairs, downstairs, through different rooms. It's hilarious. You got to watch it. Cool. What's your number five? My number five is on the Rocky soundtrack from 1976. It's the song Going the Distance by Bill Conti. Now, if you've seen Rocky, which I'm assuming that a lot of you have. Plus, this is a spoiler because it's from 1976. If you haven't seen Rocky, fast forward a little bit. At the end of the movie where Rocky goes the distance of 15 rounds with Apollo Creed, there's a song at the end of the fight which ends with a powerful crescendo of timpani drums and the fight bell that just rings over and over. Just dong, dong, dong. And the brass at the end is just amazing. And it's not classified as rock and roll, but it totally rocks. (laughs) I love that song. It would have been on my fired up list had I lifted the restriction on rock music. That would have been my number two. But because it's musically, it's kind of a, I always forget how to pronounce this reprise or reprise of gonna fly now Mm -hmm. which everybody knows is the rocky theme Mm -hmm. if you know the the string line through that song it's in going the distance but Mm -hmm. the the brass the timpani and the bell just the bell over and over again that's what really gets you I wouldn't have called Gonna Fly Now the Rocky theme song either. I would have I thought it was the ba 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 but I know they bring in Gonna Fly Now later in the movie. Yeah, so but that's yeah. that is that gonna the, fly li- now the line that you quoted uh-huh. is in Gonna Gonna Fly Now. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know, but not till late. Not till yeah. later, right? Yeah, okay. Either way. It's in the middle yeah. of the film, yeah. but uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. What's your number 4? Well, I'm just noticing we're talking about the difference between, you know, what 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 makes a theme song. All 5 of mine have the same title as the movie or TV show they're in. So Wow. All right, there you go. That Good was coincidence. Job. I didn't well, I didn't even mean it that way, but <laughs> I was trying to be uh trying to look for things that were unequivocally the theme songs. My number four is Ghostbusters by Ray Parker Jr. Awesome. Yeah, and it's a really great song with a really interesting story. So it came out in 1984, made it to number one on the Billboard charts. The task of writing a a theme song to the movie was first offered to Lindsey Buckingham, who had just written Holiday Road for the the vacation movies. Yeah. He turned it down because he didn't want to be pegged as someone who wrote movie Movie soundtracks. Movie themes. Movie themes. Uh, So Ray Parker had only a few days to write the song. He was watching late night TV. He was seeing all these, you know, Hucksters coming on and trying to sell their stuff, and he got the idea to do it like a jingle, like a TV yeah. ad. I'm sure you know the troubled plagiarism history of this song, but I'll recount it well, briefly. Yeah, <laughs> and plagiarism isn't really the correct plagiarism. Word. Accusations of plagiarism. Accusations. Well, copyright infringement. Copyright infringement. Excuse yeah. me. Sorry. Uh, yes. Let's let's make sure we do this technically correctly. Um, <laughs> because that's was... the best kind of correct. <laughs> Ray Parker Jr. was sued by Huey Lewis for ripping off I Want a New Drug, drug. and specifically the bass line. And the case was settled out of court. This is really interesting. The case was settled out of court. There was a confidentiality agreement. The participants were not allowed to discuss the case. Ray Parker Jr. said he got sued actually by a lot of people. That was just the only one that got settled out of court. His quote was, when you sell that many records, I think everybody wants to say they wrote the song. The interesting part, well, there's a lot of interesting parts, but the first interesting part is, so this was, I don't know exactly when, but sometime, 1985 was when the case was settled, excuse me. In 2001, Huey Lewis was on an episode of 
behind the music on VH1, and he said again that Parker stole the song. So Ray Parker sued him, and Ray Parker says, I got a lot of money out of that. So Yeah, because he, he, he violated, violated the, the settlement agreement. Exactly. Well, exactly. not the confident the oh, settlement the agreement. The settlement, yeah. Yeah, um, you're not allowed to say anything yeah, yeah. or disparage. Nope. or right. Usually those agreements have a lot of that type of language in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So, so Ray Parker made some money twice. I don't know if he ever made back what he had to pay Huey Lewis, but no one will ever know unless they decide to talk about it. But an interesting thing, <laughs> he probably did rip it off. And here's why. When the filmmakers made the movie, they used I Want a New Drug as a placeholder. Oh, and wow. And they sent Ray Parker the film, the, the with tape or whatever. With that song the film, as the placeholder? With that song as the placeholder. Uh. <laughs> so, uh, so he had access to it. They actually even invited Huey Lewis to write the theme music also. And he, he also declined. So, yeah. <laughs> so Ray Parker was watching the film, listening to that song in the background, just as a placeholder. And, yeah, ended up writing Ghostbusters. So he probably paid some money. I uh, wonder if that's yeah. why Huey Lewis said yes to writing the songs for Back to the Future. I wonder. A couple years later, a year 80, or two later. I think it was a year later, yeah, yeah. 85, yeah. Maybe. Well, it worked out. Uh, yeah, one little coda, worked out for Huey. One little coda to this story is that Ray Parker Jr. lost the Oscar for Best Original Song 2. I just called To Say I Love You by Stevie Wonder, which you've already identified as a terrible, terrible <laughs> song. <laughs> What's your next song? Number four for me is the end credits theme to WKRP in nice Cincinnati. Song. It's not even really a song. The name of the, air quotes, song is WKRP in Cincinnati in credits. It's a hard rock number composed and performed by Jim Ellis, who is an Atlanta musician who recorded some of the incidental music for the show. And according to the people who attended the recording sessions, Ellis didn't even have lyrics for the closing theme, so he sang a bunch of nonsense words to give an idea of how it would sound. The folks on the show decided to use the nonsense anyway, since they felt it would be funny to use the lyrics that were deliberately gibberish as a satire on the incomprehensibility <laughs> of many rock songs. And also, they did it because CBS, the network that the show was on, always had an announcer talking over the closing credits. <laughs> So the show's producer knew that no one would actually hear the closing theme lyrics anyway. So the guy that wrote the song, Jim Ellis, had this to say about it. Hugh Wilson, who was working for MTM Enterprises, Mary Tyler Moore's company, created WKRP in Cincinnati and hired Tom Wells to write and produce original music for the show. Tom, in turn, turns around and hires me to arrange and orchestrate the opening theme that he and Hugh had written and to write a rock and roll closing theme. I had originally written the closer to be an instrumental, but on the day of recording, I began joking around, singing the melody that the saxophone was eventually going to play. Of course, there were no lyrics, and I was just scatting gibberish. Well, Hugh and Tom thought that was funny, and that it made a joke about the general unintelligibility of rock lyrics. So out with the sax, and in with my only professional job as a lead singer. Not bad if you're only going to have one. So the lyrics, more or less kind of sound like this went to the bartender thursday night oh yeah (laughs) said to her good morning and a microphone in her heart i said goodbye madam i've had a bird in hand i said i'm doing good and put love in her heart yeah i mean that's if it actually sounds like words if you pull it up on youtube which i think is the only place where you can find it listen to it there's there's one mix that has a bunch of video of a bunch of the guest stars that showed up on the show over the years and it's an extended cut of it so you get to hear the gibberish over and over again it's just (laughs) it's such a i love that song and i really wish he had fleshed it out because the riff he's got in it it's just it's a great rocking song but i love it i've always loved it I would sit and wait till the end of the show and I would turn it up and my dad would be like, turn that noise down. (laughs) So that's my number four, the closing theme to WKRP in Cincinnati. Check that out. Number three. My number three, if there's going to be bells, it could be this one. Okay. My number three is the theme two, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Oh, no bells? honorable mention. All right, by Fresh Prince and DJ Jazzy Jeff. From 1990, the actual title is Yo Home to Bel-Air, which I didn't know. Wow. Um, yeah. Interesting story. There was already a theme song in place. 
had been produced by Quincy Jones. When Will Smith got the scripts to the show and shared them with DJ Jazzy Jeff, whose real name is Jeffrey Towns, they decided to make their own theme song. After reading a few scripts, Jones loved it and switched the songs out. I actually yeah. don't know what the original song was. That'd be a good one for a future take, too. If I figure out wow, you yeah. I wonder, if, I wonder if you could dig that up somewhere. That'd be a yeah, real internet search. I'm sure. No, it's got to be out there somewhere. The Googles are, are huge. Interestingly enough, I think everybody our age knows the song and a lot of people younger than us, too. Uh, yeah. It was only released as a single in the Netherlands and Spain. Wow. Pretty impressive that we all know it. To quote the UK version of MTV's website, say what you want, but considering the sitcom wrapped up over 20 years ago and people are still able to start spitting out those lyrics on cue, its lasting appeal is undeniably impressive. And it's just fun. Yeah. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. It's a great song. All right. My number three, there's multiple iterations of this one, but I had to pick one so that it'd just be one song so we could put it on the Spotify list. It's the theme from Mission Impossible. And oh, I, yeah. And I picked the one. It's on my honorable mentions. From Mission Impossible 2 by Hans Zimmer from 2000. And like I said, this one stands in for the Mission Impossible TV show and for all the movies. And I picked this one just because it rocks harder than all the others. And I think that Zimmer was influenced by Metallica since their song I Disappear was in the movie, but I don't think it was on the soundtrack. So the original of this song was written by the Argentinian composer Lalo Schifrin. I think I got that right. L-A-L-O, mm-hmm. Lalo Schifrin. Yeah. For the TV series that ran from 1966 to 1973. And the bass player on that theme, do you know who it was? I'm going to guess it's Carol Kay. Just you guessed yeah, correctly. There you go. <laughs> if anybody ever asks you who played bass on uh, this and anything, you don't know, yeah. you throw out Carol <laughs> Kay. It's been used in one form or another from the first TV series, the second TV series that I think only lasted in 1988, all the Tom Cruise series of movies, and even in the video games. So the signature staccato beat is actually Morse code for oh, wow. the letters M and I. So it's long, long, short, short, long, long, short, short. Never knew that. Me either. And the song is in 5-4 time. So if a dot is one beat and a dash is one and a half beats, that gives the bar five beats, exactly matching the underlying rhythm. Now, here's the reference to Adam Clayton and Larry Mullen Jr. Okay. Those guys, obviously of U2 fame, mixed a new version of the song in 1996 for the first movie in the Tom Cruise franchise series. However, unlike the original, it's mostly in 4-4 time except Hmm. for the intro. Now, their version hit number seven on the Billboard Hot 100 in 1996. A side note, my shirt, Metallica, Mm -hmm. we went and saw them in May here in Paris, and they actually played I Disappear. Hmm. which they don't usually play in their set. And James Hetfield introduced it by saying, this is one we haven't played in a long time. And then went into the, wow, you know (laughs) that. And the crowd just lost it. And I looked at my wife and I was like, this is one of the ones I wanted to hear. (laughs) Good stuff. So uh, the Mission Impossible theme at number three. Okay. Number number two two, for you. My t-shirt, Elvis. Thank you. Thank you very much. My my number two is Jailhouse Rock. Awesome. Jailhouse Rock was written by, like many hits of the time, by Lieber and Stoller, a couple guys from the New York songwriter. I think think they were in the Brill Building, the famous songwriting factory. Yeah. Uh, They also wrote Hound Dog. They wrote Stand By Me. They wrote Love Potion Number 9 and a million songs that you never knew they wrote. It's from 1957. Elvis's contract included movies. He had to do a bunch of movies. Have you heard that Eddie Murphy thing about Elvis and the movies? No. And they, he, well, not, he was, no, I don't remember he it, was yeah. like, man, he, he can sing, but he can't act. Just have him sing all the dialogue. <laughs> Elvis, we got to win this race. We got to win, win this, this race. race. Yeah, I remember that now. I had forgotten <laughs> that it was about the movies. <laughs> anyway, the song is kind of silly, but Elvis plays it straight and it really rocks. It's a great tune. Yeah. Um, there's not a whole lot to, much more to say about the song. It's just a great song. It's a you know a landmark song. There is an interesting coda to this song, though, too. Obviously, a big theme of the song is a bunch of male prisoners dancing with each other and yeah. bend, bending some gender. And it turns out, and I didn't know this until I was looking this up, turns out this song is actually regarded by gender studies scholars as a landmark song because it, yeah. it, it refers to gender roles in a new way that really wasn't acceptable before that. If you don't believe me, I'm going to cite a source, a book called Queering the Pitch, The New Gay and Lesbian Musicology by Philip Brett, Elizabeth Wood, and Gary Thomas from 2006. So don't take my word for it. Take theirs. Cool. So, Jailhouse Rock by Elvis Presley. My number two, which I guarantee is not on your list, it goes outside the rock and roll thing. 
because, well, uh, the song rocks, but it's jazz. It's all right. It's the opening theme to the anime show Cowboy Bebop. It's the song called Tank, because there's an exclamation point after Tank, by Seatbelts from 1998. Not Familiar to me. Keep going. Yeah. If you don't know Cowboy Bebop as a show, you don't know this song. The sparse spoken word by Tim Jensen in the intro ends off with three, two, one. Let's jam. And boy, do they ever. The jazzy horn and drum percussion centered song harkens back to the 60s, but it's the theme of a Japanese anime series produced in the 1990s. The staccato of the horns and the percussion really makes this one rock. And the twists and turns of the music are awesome. The music also fits perfectly with the video in the intro to each episode of the series. Obviously, they put that together, but it really works well. Tank was composed by Yoko Kano, and it's described on the Cowboy Bebop wiki page as a 12-bar blues track. It goes by a Latin-infused hard bop style with a rhythm section that mixes a double bass and bongo drums. It is primarily an instrumental piece with an extensive alto saxophone solo played by Masato Honda, who also performed a fill to end the song. Go look it up. Hopefully it's on Spotify and we'll be able to put it on the list so you can listen to it. So. Cool. Yeah. Or we'll find we'll put a YouTube link if not. Tank. Tank. Gotta love having the exclamation point so you gotta scream it. All right, man. All right, my number one. Your number one. What's the top worn, of the list? I could have worn the t-shirt. It's a huge song. It's got a great story. The story really still goes on. It's Purple Rain by Prince. How uh, did I know that yeah, was going to well, be you your number one? pointed out that I left one. it off a bunch of times because I could have been on my long songs. It could have yeah. been on, I, a lot of times I could have used it. It came out in 1984. Never got to number one. The song that kept it off, do you want to guess what kept it off the number one spot? Ooh. It's, Ghostbusters. No, no it's sorry. not worth it. It's not. It's not worthy. Not to keep Purple Rain off. It's Wake Me Up Before You Go Go by Wham. So not well. a bad song, but come on. Uh, <laughs> um, there's a lot I knew about the song and a lot I didn't. A few things, first of all, that you should know is the really beautiful guitar parts. I've mentioned this recently. The really beautiful yeah. guitar parts were not written by Prince like most guitar parts. They're written by Wendy Melvoin. Yeah. Uh, who was one part of Wendy and Lisa, Lisa and Wendy, who were referenced many times in the Prince universe. The Prince-verse. The Prince-verse. And the song, the Take You Here, was performed live, which is incredible to me, at the yeah, First Avenue nightclub in Minneapolis. There were three different takes yeah. that were spliced together in some to some degree, but it seems to me, from what I've read, that most of it is one take. And yeah. it was Wendy's first show with the band. Oh, wow. So she's the one who influenced the way the song sounded and wrote those really beautiful guitar voicings. And it was a originally written this is the part i didn't know it's originally written as a country song and he wanted to do a collaboration with stevie nicks i'm not even kidding stevie nicks said that she received a an instrumental track about 10 minutes long from prince and he wanted her to write lyrics for it Uh, so they could collaborate and she said this is her quote i listened to it and just got scared i called her back and said i can't do it i wish i could it's too much for me so then he had his band try to do it and they were kind of you know messing around with it and that's when wendy came up with these chord voicings and that that account comes from lisa the keyboard player in the band right yeah they're often referred to as a pair lisa said he was excited to hear it voiced differently it took it out of that country feeling we all started playing it a bit harder and taking it more seriously we played it for six hours straight and by the end of the day we had it mostly written and arranged the title may or may not have come from a song called ventura highway from yeah. by the band america in yeah. 1972 which references purple rain but probably not we know prince was pretty fixated on purple yeah. um, <laughs> he purple called one. jonathan kane from journey to make sure that he wasn't copying faithfully yeah, yeah. i knew that and jonathan kane said no nope, not the same song go for it it's just a massive song the lyrics refer there's three verses one refers to his relationship with his parents one really refers to his relationship with his girlfriend who at the time was apollonia i don't remember her last name because she went by her six six is the band yeah (laughs) and one of them refers to his relationship with the band and the lyrics are pretty vague but that's okay the the feeling of the song is what carries it and the just the the incredible guitar solo the long keyboard outro there's also the following story with the incredible super bowl halftime performance when yeah it started raining and, and he the just lights kept going. <laughs> just kept going and the they had purple lights and the rain looked purple and it was just like you couldn't admit you couldn't have there's a great NFL films documentary about that halftime performance, which I will put in the show notes. It's amazing. Yeah. Anyway, it's appropriate that it was the last song he played live in April 2016 in Atlanta, Georgia, before he passed about a week later. I just want to say, too, in a way, it's not really fair to call this a theme song. It is the same title as the movie, yeah. but the movie is totally forgettable. Awful, actually. Don't watch it. Um, <laughs> 
And I'm pretty sure the the song preceded the movie, and they just named the movie after the song, not the other way around. Not the other way around. So. I have to say one thing about Purple Do Rain. It. Yeah. Thank you, Prince. Thank you from DJs everywhere who were able to put that song on and go, <laughs> go to, the to the bathroom, bathroom. <laughs> and then come back because I Eight did minutes, that I once or twice yeah. as a DJ on WUTS <laughs> 91.3 FM, Sewanee, Tennessee. I had a gig for a buddy of mine where I DJed an 80s party as a fundraiser. And at the end, I put on Purple Rain. Everybody lost their minds and I was able to go dance with my wife <laughs> and then come back up to the stage and finish everything off. So thank you, Prince, for making such a great Nice long song that actually helps amazing, the DJs amazing out. Song. All right, my number one man. This song doesn't qualify as rock, <laughs> not even a little, and I don't care because I'm willing to bet that if you're listening to this podcast, you know most, if not all, the words to this song. It's "Won't You Be My Neighbor" by Fred Rogers Aww. as the theme of Mister Rogers' Neighborhood. This song crosses every genre line. Almost everybody knows "Won't You Be My Neighbor." And if you don't, you really should. The reason I picked this one is because, A, it's a favorite of mine, but B, the best story I've ever heard about any TV theme song is this one. At one point, Fred Rogers was in New York recording a few segments for his show that was based in Pittsburgh, and he had to go from one site to another, but there was a huge traffic jam, so his usual mode of transportation via a private car wasn't going to get him where he needed to be on time. So he grabbed one of his staff members and just ran down and said, let's take the subway. And he just took off. Now, the people who are handling him were like, oh, my God, we can't have Fred <laughs> Rogers in the subway. He's a huge star. This was probably in the 70s. When he got on the train and somebody recognized him and then everybody recognized him, they just spontaneously serenaded him oh, with, that's great. won't you be my neighbor? To be a rock star <laughs> like that. Fred Rogers was just amazing. He's the guy that actually allowed uh, his testimony in front of a congressional hearing, allowed you to tape stuff off of TV so that you could watch it later. Probably save public broadcasting too. Yeah, yeah, he was an amazing guy. But if you doubt that Fred Rogers rocks on any of these <laughs> other things, I got one story for you. So one night, Fred Rogers had his car stolen from his driveway in Pittsburgh. He filed a police report the next morning when he saw that it was gone. And somebody picked up on it and put it on the news that night. Hey, somebody stole Mr. Rogers' car. And this was, you know, a bad deal. The next morning, he wakes up, looks out the window... The car is in the driveway. I bet. The gas tank, which was half full when the car was stolen, was full when the car was put back. And there was a <laughs> note on the dash. And the note said, if we had known it was yours, we never would have taken it. That's great. That's my number one. Won't You Be My Neighbor by Fred Rogers. Awesome. You want to do honorable, honorable mentions? mentions? Let's do it. You go first. I'll go first. All right. A bunch of songs that I've already used in other lists. The theme from Shaft, Love Yourself by Eminem from 8 Mile, A Hard Day's Love Night. Love from... Yourself? Lose Yourself. Let me try that again. A bunch of songs... <laughs> A bunch of songs I've already used from other top five lists. The theme from Shaft by Isaac Hayes. Lose Yourself by Eminem from 8 Mile. A Hard Day's Night by The Beatles from A Hard Day's Night. That Thing You Do by The Wonders from That Thing You Do. Yeah. Uh, Don't You Forget About Me by Simple Minds from Breakfast Club, which may or may, or may not be the theme song, but it certainly It's the, the theme song. It, fine, fine, fine. Fight the Power by Public Enemy from Do the Right Thing by Spike yes. Lee. Okay, uh, a couple other songs which I think are notable. The only song that didn't that I considered for my top five and didn't make it in is kind of obscure. It's the theme from SWAT, which was a TV oh, show. Oh, dude, that's awesome. Awesome song. It's just so great. Oh, the show, man. I don't remember at all. I was too young. I just that's Yeah, how, but the theme is great. The theme is great. I learned to tell time because of that show. So it was my job to wow. learn how to tell my dad when it was going to be on so we could watch it together, and I had to learn to tell time to do that. <laughs> Peter Gunn theme, which is a great theme to a, a yeah. totally a show I've never seen, but I didn't use that one because I think it's more known, more associated with the Blues Brothers than the actual TV show. And... There's a, oh God, well, what you, was the- Spy Hunter. Spy Hunter, the video game. Yeah, before. we talked about yeah, that exactly. before. Exactly. I'll Be There For You by the Rembrandts from Friends. Yeah. The Big Bang Theory theme by Bare Naked Ladies. That's Boss on my list from um, Malcolm in the Middle. Malcolm Sorry. in the Middle, yeah. Boss of Me by they, may, they Might Be Giants from Malcolm in the Middle. Today is going to be a great day. 
by Bowling for Soup from Phineas and Ferb, which is an awesome show. That's on my list, too. All right. Woke Up This Morning by Alabama 3 from The Sopranos. The theme from The Monkees. We should do talk about The Monkees someday. A highly misunderstood and underrated group. Yeah. Um, the Miami Vice theme, you got to give it its due. That's it on my list, too. Now, but it's, it's, it's classic Jan and Homer did a great job with that. Absolutely. Uh, Way Down in the Hole by Tom Waits from The Wire. Dude, I've got that. You're reading my list. Stop reading my list. <laughs> I happen to love Believe It or Not, the theme from Greatest American Hero. I just think it's a great song. Yeah, um, Joey Scarberry. Ha- here you go. Happy Days, which is a you know another classic, and one that's definitely not, as you mentioned a couple times, definitely not rock. Suicide is Painless by Johnny Mandel, the theme from MASH. Yeah. A couple of quick movie themes. Wait, if, wait, if you want to okay. hear the words to that song, There's, you have to watch the movie no, there, MASH. Yeah, but you can find that on YouTube. Yeah, you can yeah, find it on yeah. YouTube, but if you watch the movie MASH, yeah. they, they have they have the... Yeah the words in it yeah. and they took that removed the lyrics and made it the theme for the TV show right a couple movie ones Happy from Despicable Me by Pharrell Williams just a great tune yeah. 9 to 5 by Dolly Parton awesome um, song Streets of Philadelphia by Bruce Springsteen it's not really the theme because there's another song called Philadelphia by Neil Young on the same soundtrack I don't know what the theme is but it's a great tune Maniac by Michael Cimbello from I want to say Flashdance Flashdance Flash you're Dance. right and then this one most people don't know is a movie song it's Probably Me which is a collaboration between Sting, Eric Clapton, and David Sanborn, the sax player. It's from the movie Lethal Weapon 3. I'd go all the way down to three. What do you got there? You read off pretty much my entire list, nice. except for these two, mm-hmm. or these three. Stranger Things by Kyle Dixon and Michael Stein, the theme for that TV show. It's totally 80s. The synth thing, completely 80s. Love it. Cool. Going back to the 70s, the theme from the Rockford Files by Mike Post. And what I really love is right before the, the theme song would kick in, you would always hear a message left on Jim Rockford's answering machine that was different for every episode, usually didn't have anything to do with the episode, and you had to guess who the star was that they got to do the voiceover for Ah, that. Ah, cool, cool. Yeah, but that song is just such a great song. It's got a harmonica part and a good guitar solo in it. Love that song. And then from the movies, I'll just go with one more. Still by Alanis Morissette from the movie Dogma. It's the closing credit song. Hmm. Amazing song. Love that song. Such a great tune. TV, movie themes, and that's it. Sorted. <laughs> if you want to listen to the songs that we mentioned on this podcast in their entirety, check out the Spotify playlist that we've got in the show notes to hear them all. All right, kids, we're back. It's time for more feedback, more stuff from y'all. This is great. We love love getting this. I love it. It's my favorite thing. One of the things that we need to remind you. What you talking about, Willis? Not that. (laughs) It's kind of like the the line in Coming to America where the, the female character says, we like money that jingles, but we prefer money that folds. We love getting your emails. But we really prefer getting voice stuff. So well, we got at least one today. Make make some voice recordings and send those to us. We love hearing from y'all. Literally hearing from y'all. All right, we're doing feedback. We're going to start with episode twenty three. Best bridges, music torture, and the one minute matchup was what band would you join? I got one from Nick in Houston. He says, "Excellent episode." I would join Queens of the Stone Age just on rhythm guitar, based on this paraphrased quote. It's pretty easy to get a crowd to headbang or mosh, but getting them to dance and shake their arses, that's a tough but fun job. That's all you got? That's all I got I got 23. I got one. I got an audio clip from my sister Dana in Chicago. Sweet. Who shares her favorite bridge, and you can hear it right now. One of the greatest bridges in any song ever is 21 Pilots, Tear in My Heart. The bridge is completely different from the rest of the song. It's this incredibly interesting little spoken word portion. And the band is already really innovative with how they do their music. But the bridge in Tear in My Heart is probably my favorite bridge of all time. Good stuff. Moving on to episode 24. Moving on to episode 24. I think you got a couple long ones. I got a couple quick ones. Best songs with multiple lead vocalists. We did the Stairway to Heaven lawsuit, and the one-minute matchup was the most annoying instrument. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'll start with one from Ryan from outside of Paris because I don't think he's in. He's I think undisclosed he's, location. Yeah, undisclosed <laughs> location somewhere in the south of France. I don't know. He says, hey, goofballs, another fun episode. I always learn something from this podcast. Here are two suggestions for your honorable mentions list in this category. Iggy Pop and Kate Pearson from the B-52s on the song Candy. You have to go to the original version because all the later versions and all the covers are painfully out of tune. (laughs) And the second one is David Bowie and Gail Ann Dorsey singing Under Pressure. Any version by these two is great. I didn't know about that version. I went and listened to it when Ryan sent it, and it's incredible. Really? She can sing. She was David Bowie's bass player. She's got an incredible voice. Got one from Nick in Houston again. He says, great list of multiple vocalist songs. I just want to point out that Matt did not take the opportunity to absolutely beep on Robbie Robertson from the band for being a real SOB, which makes him a better man than I am. (laughs) Maybe just less (laughs) well-informed. Have you got a few? I got a couple. Don't you have one more? I got got two more, actually. Okay, go for them. All right. I'll do mine at the end. Mine are short. Peggy from Paris says... Hey, Matt. Hey, Seth. Listened to your podcast last night and couldn't resist writing back. Just wanted you to know that I feel like your podcast keeps getting better and better. Thank you. Thanks, Peggy. She says, so much to chew on in this particular episode. I'm going to take a stab at great multi-lead singer songs that I think meet your criteria. Her list is, it's short, but it's good. Gone, Gone, Gone by Robert Plant and Alison Krauss. That's a really good one. Smoking Out the Window by Bruno Mars yeah, really and fun. Anderson. Anderson, Anderson An- Pack. Anderson Pack, yeah. yeah I, I thought I put that, no, it wasn't that song, but it, I think I put one from them in my honorable mentions. Right. And then she lists As by uh, George Michael and Mary J. Blige. She says, uh, also quite funny on the most annoying instrument. I think mine would be the violin. <laughs> I know it's super sophisticated and whatnot, but it just sounds like screeching to me. Give me a loud pounding cajon any day. <laughs> <laughs> I, I suggest you probably need to listen to different violin players then. <laughs> yeah. Or, or you know, for, for the folks that actually call it a fiddle, yeah. some of those folks are really good at it too. I got another one from... Aaron from Friendswood. I don't know exactly where he's living now, but he's from my hometown. He says, hey, guys, this is funny. When you mentioned It's Only Love, I thought you were going to reference the ZZ Top song. You know, It's Only Love, that song. I didn't have it in mind before you mentioned the title. It is sung by Billy Gibbons and Dusty Hill, and they're listed as co-leads on the song. I remember the song from being in some goofy sex ed film I was shown (laughs) at Camp Allen in 86. Boom! Nostalgia bomb on Seth. Great show. Keep up the fun. (laughs) I got two short ones from that episode. First, Dr. Other Phil, who really should occupy a position as our uh, faculty emeritus in uh, 80s hair metal, uh, (laughs) said that he would put the Aussie Lita Ford duet in his honorable mentions at least. Close my eyes forever. Classic 80s metal. I know that one. It's a good one. And then just a quick one. uh, I, I can't remember which segment it was, but we mentioned the Grateful Dead. Our friend Mango... Right. AKA Mangy said, I know it hurt to say Grateful Dead on the air. <laughs> You're not wrong, Rick. All right, man. So, uh, episode 25 was best live albums, female instrumentalists, and the one minute matchup was great live performance versus great studio recording. I don't have any on that. I got one. a few you? for this. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. Mango is back, uh, reminding us about the Simon and Garfunkel concert in Central Park. That's a good call. That's yeah, a, that's a great album. Great, that concert. is a good one. And Doctor Other Phil is back, saying "Cheap Trick at Budokan deserves a place in any top five. Fits all your criteria, including, as you said, the definitive version of "I Want You to Want Me." Honorable mention for me. Yeah. Uh, and Uncle Hiram shows up here. Matt and Seth, I was hoping you would have given some praise or credit, or at least honorable mention to Carol King. Although her musical style is less hardened and edgy than many others in rock and roll, she is more famous for writing than performing. Although she's prodigious at both, her mastery of the piano is integral to her overall prowess in the field. And I think in this case, he's referring to the women instrumentalist segment. Right, yeah. 100%. Yeah, Carol King deserves a mention as well. Tapestry, I got to say, Tapestry is one of the most well-made albums of all time. It's a phenomenal record. I can't think of another record that tops Tapestry. We'll put it that way. Okay. We're on to... Episode 26. 26. Music with a Message. Music with a Message. We did Feedback and Best Singing Bass Player. All right. You've got all the ones on I got a bunch of comments here. My sister, Dana, is back with her top five. Hosier, Phil Ox, 
Tupac, Run the Jewels, Rage Against the Machine. Very credible. Nice. I think I used Hozier. Maybe it wasn't for that episode. And Rage Against the Machine belongs on any list uh, of that. Yeah, sure. it totally does. Uh, Uncle Hiram is also back. It's a family affair today. Uh, he says, glad you mentioned Bob Dylan. The episode could well be named in his honor. Also, a bit disappointed that Neil Young got no mention. His message songs are spread one here, one there, over several LPs and EPs and done with different groups, so maybe he is easy to miss. But Ohio is, by itself, a monster social anthem of anthems. Great upload. Keep up the exceptional work. Thanks, Uncle Hiram. Ohio does show up on... On a future episode, which we'll be talking about in about a minute and a half here. Uh, <laughs> other Other Phil, not to be confused with Dr. Other Phil. Other Other Phil says, I just finished the podcast and that Van Halen rant by Dr. Other Phil was simply fantastic. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a meta Phil universe here. Um, what, does everybody you know named Phil have a sub-degree no, in but heavy I'm, metal? I think we're going to have to do that now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Al says, good debate. And I think he's talking about the bass players here. Yeah, here we go. Yeah. Uh, he says, good debate. Bass players get a bad rap, especially the ones who sing lead also. From what I've been told, that is incredibly difficult. It is. I've seen all of the bass players mentioned live, some multiple times. Getty Lee really stretched his skills beyond anyone else's, which is incredible when you think about it. Love Sting, too, especially his solo art. My wedding song was I Was Brought to My Senses. Just beautiful songwriting and playing. Went to Carnegie Hall in mid-March for a celebration of Sir Paul's music. An incredible night of music. It's all great art. Thank you, Al. I totally agree. Definitely. Episode 27, When Anglophones Sing in Another Language. Nicknames and the one-minute matchup, Is It Rock and Roll Without Guitar? I don't have anything on that. Do you? I got a bunch. Okay. Here. Go well, not it. a bunch. I have a few. Already mentioned it in, in the last episode, but Diana wrote in to remind us that Richie Valens did not speak Spanish. Thank you again for that right. correction, yeah. Diana. Chris D. from Canada. It's a big country somewhere in Canada. Uh, I think Toronto. <laughs> wrote, uh, Matt, fun podcast. I like the English speaker's songs piece. Anything with Clash and Psycho Killer is top stuff. I would have added Heroes, Bowie's version in German. I'm going to pronounce it wrong, but Die Helden, better than the English. But I was 16 and in Warrington, so having it in German got extra brownie points. Uh, a song for Europe by Roxy Music, I assume is well. It says Roxy, but does he mean Roxy Music? I don't know the song. I don't know I the song. I would up. assume Roxy Music, but he says almost certainly the best rock song sung in Latin. I'm gonna look that up. Yeah, should have looked it up already. And Uncle Hiram is back with what he calls an explanation. That is explanation. Explanation is a mashup of explain and expand. He says Andrew Hickey's exceptional and exhaustive podcast, A History of Rock Music in 500 Songs, offers the notion that rock and roll was dominated by piano and not guitar until the 1960s. This agrees with the conclusion you both reached in the 60-second segment. It was actually piano music not guitar music predominantly at least for its first decade or more totally agree we yeah both, and we both agree. agree yeah moving on to episode 28 yeah songs about real events read my mind and one minute matchup music versus lyrics mango my fellow swanee football buddy he says why do you guys insist on including <laughs> rap as rock to be fair alice's restaurant isn't rock either i take folk over rap as rock adjacent because they actually sing and play instruments here's my response to that if they're in the rock and roll hall of fame i think we can kind of add them in you're mowing my lawn okay yeah. and it's funny we got a related comment from bonita from new york who says a little quibble mississippi goddamn is by no stretch a rock song, so why mention it? And this is something that comes up a lot, so I'll respond to both of these comments at the same time. First of all, for Rick, find me a rap song without a backbeat played on drums or a drum machine, and then we'll talk. It's rock or adjacent. A, or a sample of a rock a, song. Exactly. Rock and roll, as we have said on this podcast many times, is a big tree with lots of roots and branches, and I totally agree with you. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, if they're willing to include it, why shouldn't we be? Um, yeah, I went exactly. and actually checked what their criteria are. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh -huh. And here are the criteria. There are four ways you can be inducted. I should quote. Individuals can be inducted yeah. in four categories. Performers, early influences, non-performer, and sidemen. Candidates are reviewed and discussed relative to their impact on the mu this music that we broadly call rock and roll. The innovation and influence of these artists is also critical. Gold records, number one hits, and million sellers are not really not appropriate standards for evaluation. This is for the Early Influence Award shall be given to a performing artist or group whose music and performance style have directly influenced and helped inspire and involve rock and roll and music that has impacted youth culture. So yeah. that's pretty broad. Uh, it does broad, include, it does allow us to talk about a lot of musical styles, including funk, disco, country, hip hop, blues, and many more. And I think the, the, yeah. the early influences tag's a little misleading because some of these influences come back in later and then re, they're influenced by rock and roll and then they in turn re-influence rock and roll. Yeah. Big tree, 
with many roots and many branches. Just a particular note about uh, Nina Simone. She's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. She was inducted yeah. in 2018 by Mary J. Blige, who's also not technically a rock and roller. And here's the what queen of hip hop soul. Here's but, what Mary yeah. J. Blige said about Nina Simone. Nina Simone's unapologetic rage and accusatory voice named names and took no prisoners in the African-American struggle for equality in the early 60s. Her triumphant voice sang what it meant to be young, gifted, and black in a sometimes unjust and troubled world. This is my words now. She had rock and roll attitude long before the term rock and roll ever existed. Yeah, That's definitely. what rock and roll is about. So exactly. I have no problems with including these people and these artists. I've got a couple more comments on episode 28. Do you have anything else? Nope. Okay, go well, go back to Benita. Some quick musings upon hearing episode 28. First, just because a performer has poor enunciation doesn't mean the lyrics are bad, just that the wrong person is singing them. <laughs> Ag agree to disagree. <laughs> Rock and roll is about freedom, and that includes freedom from clarity and from literal meaning. Uh, we just talked sure. about the Muse song, where Matt Bellamy had no idea what he was writing about, but it works. Uh, she also says she loved the backstory of how the record company got Ohio out on the air, so proximal to the events at Kent State. She adds, I loved the Reading Your Mind segment. Hilarious. At this point, I know you both so well that I, too, guessed Sir Paul and Neil Peart. <laughs> Good job. And she finishes off by saying, I love getting schooled by you guys. Always fun and often thought-provoking. Thank you, Benita. Yes, and thank you. Uncle Hiram is back with the final Uncle word. Uncle Hiram. Okay, He's, I'm sorry. Every, he gets he gets yeah. the gold star for listening and sending stuff He will stuff when in. he records an audio clip as good as, uh, what was that? As good as, as Catherine uh, and Mark. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Come uh, on, Uncle Hiram. Pull, he, pull he, the trigger. Record <laughs> something for us. <laughs> he plays guitar rather well, too. So maybe he'll sing us Awesome. Song. Can't wait to hear it. All right. Hiram says, there is one song about a real event that you may not know was based on something that actually happened and made a great impression on the songwriter. For what it's worth, written by Stephen Stills and made hugely famous by Buffalo Springfield, was about when he was driving in California and came upon a protest gathering of teens who, because of a local zoning ordinance, were suddenly subject to a 10 p.m curfew. Stills was around 21, so not subject to the curfew. Wah, wah, wah. But Stills was stopped by a police officer because the road was closed, and thus he wrote, there's something happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear. There's a man with a gun over there telling me I got to beware. So even though the song was about a trivial affair and probably just required Stills to take a detour, it was taken as a full-out anti-war protest song about Vietnam and became an anthem to soldiers in Vietnam as well as to anti-war protesters in the States. So that was a cool fact that I didn't know. And yeah, he also, I didn't know that story also, at all adds that Buffalo Springfield was named after a bulldozer manufacturer that the band members saw while walking while they were looking for a band name. And wow. adds the coda, maybe true, maybe not, but good enough to be believed. So. <laughs> so was there something on this podcast that you wanted to talk to us about? <laughs> Did we get something wrong? Do you not agree with some of the stuff that we said? then you need to email us at podcast at rock-u.fr. All right, kids, we're back. Time for the 60 Seconds of Insanity, the one-minute matchup. I mean, when we started this, we were like, this is going to be the debate class at Rock U, but uh, forget that. It's 60 seconds of just complete nutness. Sheer chaos. On this question, tube amp or digital amp? Which one's better? Can I clarify terms? Sure. When you say digital, it. I would have used the word solid state. Solid state? Meaning it doesn't okay. have tubes. There are digital yeah. amps which have very sophisticated modeling software, but I wasn't going with that. I was just going with solid Me state. Me either. Okay. I was just going with solid state okay. versus tube tubes. amp. Right. Are you already ready I'm already? Ready. You want, want to go first? I got the stopwatch in my hand. I will, I will do that. You ready? Three, <coughs> two, one. Hit it. Okay, so I know that lots of guitar guys love tube amps and think that solid state amps or digital amps, however you refer to them, are spawn of the devil. But I happen to think that those type of amps give you a ton of options in one piece of equipment. I mean, you don't need a giant pedal board to get tons of great tones out of your guitar, not just clean and distorted. Uh, I have a Fender Mustang one that I got... Uh, back in 2015 for about 100 bucks US. And I can get some amazing sounds out of it. I mean, I, I am not a really good guitar player. And with some of the options that I've got on that thing, I can make sounds that sound like Rush. I can make sounds that kind of sound like Van Halen. <laughs> I suck at guitar, so that's not it. But, um, you know, I think it's a better bang for your buck. Uh, and I guess I'm just not snooty enough about guitar tone to go the other way. 
59 seconds. Well done. That's the opinion of a drummer, so take it for what it's worth. All right, Matt, your 60 seconds on tube versus solid state amp starts now. All right, let me start with the obvious advantages and disadvantages. Tube amps sound better, are more classic sound, more classic sounding. Solid state amps are cheaper, lighter, more durable, uh, and more versatile, as you pointed out. Um, like a lot of tools, sometimes there's only one tool for the job. And it could be a tube amp. And you know what? A lot of the time it is. Um, one of the major differences between home use and gigging use is the tube amps just don't, uh, sorry, solid state amps just don't sound good at gigging volume uh, often. They may sound great through earphones. Oh, that's another advantage. You can play them through earphones. You can't do that with tube amps. Um, the conventional wisdom is that tube amps are better and that the sounds are better. And you don't really have to be an audio snob to hear the difference, at least when you turn it up to gigging volume. And I would go along with that for the most part. Here's the caveat in my last 15 seconds, is um, if you had this conversation 10 years ago, it's an easy answer. Having it now, it's kind of shady. 10 years from now, it's pretty clear solid-state amps will be able to do everything that tube amps can do. Some people would say they already can, and that blows up the whole conversation. Wow, right at a minute. Good job. Thanks. It's a, I don't know that either one of us came down solidly one way or the other. I was kind of splitting, splitting hairs there. I, you know, for... <sighs> For the bang for your buck, if it's just me, and I've never gigged as a guitarist, so I will leave that up to your professional well, opinion. But like you're saying, the way that technology is going, the solid state amp is going to be just as good as a tube amp when you're gigging. If it isn't already, it will be in five or ten again, years. Again, there's, there's already there's people who would absolutely say it already is. And yeah. I, I'm going to quote one of my favorite movies, uh, Ronin, the John Frankenheimer film about spies in Paris. Okay. And uh, Robert De Niro's character, Sam, ex-CIA agent. Someone asked him what his favorite gun is. He says, a tool. You put the right tool in the toolbox for the job. And I'm playing a gig tomorrow night. I'm going to be bringing a solid-state amp because it's a small, crowded... I can't bring a big tube amp and blow... And right. I'm playing one on Saturday night where I'm bringing a, a tube amp because I need the volume. I need the tone. Right. So I will mention just a little parenthetical for you real nerds. There is one solid-state amp which is generally considered to be a premium amp, and that's the Roland Jazz Chorus. That's what Andy Summers plays. Oh, and, wow. Yeah, and a lot of other great guitarists prefer this amp to anything else. So every once in a while, even the solid-state will get it right. Yeah, so, yeah. Hey rockers, summer's almost here. You got the summertime blues? Don't sit around at home and be bored. Come rock with us at Rock U in our summer session 2023. Starting June 26th going through July 28th, we have weekly bands for ages 8 to 16, and we have acapella workshops with Jess Moore for ages 8 all the way through adult. Check it out on our website, www.rock-u.fr. Extra credit, the Rock You podcast is brought to you with support from our partners at Big Pebble Records. Big Pebble Records is your one-stop shop for all music production in Paris. Everything from the composition to the creative side, to the recording and engineering, to the mixing and mastering, to the distribution and publication and publicity. Check them out at www.bigpebblerecords.com. And of course, you will hear lots of Rock You musicians on that label. Extra Credit, the Rock U podcast, is a production of Rock U. Expertly engineered and recorded by my good friend Seth Hinkle. And our theme music is written and produced by Tom Walters. Rock U is a nonprofit association, Loi 1901, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>